I want to start off today by talking about your favorite family neighborhood store. Walmart. Roll back, America. Okay, so Walmart, Walmart is in trouble. I don't know if you know this, but Walmart is in trouble. And you can sense this and feel it because when you go into Walmart, the greeter has been replaced by someone else. Have you noticed? A receipt checker, right? So the greeter's gone, the receipt checker is there. And they're checking receipts because they're trying to cut down on theft because they need to squeeze another half a percent or percent profit margin out because they're getting killed. Now, there's two major reasons that Walmart's in trouble. One is uh, online is crushing them. And, and it's a changing marketplace and they're a big behemoth and it's hard to make adjustments quickly. And the second reason is their core customer has actually gotten poorer, right? So in America today, over the past couple of years, Dollar General stores are opening everywhere and Walmarts are closing. And that's an indicator of where things are in America to some degree. So young people have a word for when something comes around and bites you in the butt. They love to talk about karma, right? Young people, oh man, that was karma. They, they, they're, they're little karma finders everywhere. So uh, all my teenagers, they love to talk about karma, right? And I'm always like, it's not really a thing. Yes, it did, it's a thing. Okay, right? at any rate, at any rate, Amazon is now doing to Walmart what Walmart did to mom and pop stores in the 1980s. Hashtag karma, right? So how many of you feel bad for Walmart? Anyone? 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 No one? <laughs> one? Okay, yes, you, you have a son who works for Walmart, right? Okay, so are, are any of you so loyal to Walmart that if you find something cheaper, faster, or better somewhere else, you're still going to Walmart? Anyone? Anyone? Okay, <laughs> no, no, right? Loyalty in that sense is kind of no longer a thing. I don't know if you've noticed, but... Like workers aren't loyal to their companies because they feel like the companies aren't loyal to the workers and everybody, you know, customers aren't loyal to their stores. Um, I know a guy who does fixes a, uh, HVAC stuff and he'll say, I can go to somebody's home two times and then the third time they reach out and hire someone else because they're $10 cheaper, $20 cheaper. And even though we've developed a relationship and I've done good work for them, right? And so there's, there's this lack of loyalty. Did you know that God values loyalty. Did you know that? God values loyalty. And in fact, God is loyal to a fault. He is. The Bible has a word for it. It's called faithfulness. Faithfulness. Um, and faithfulness is not exactly a thing today either, right? Um, struggling in class? Drop it. Don't like your college? Transfer. Get a new music or worship pastor at church? Leave. Like, it goes on and on. Mad at your boss or your coworkers? Quit. Um, can't stand your spouse anymore. Get a new one. Like, it's loyalty and faithfulness is kind of gone by the wayside culturally, which is why real faithfulness in America today stands out. You see it at a wedding reception on the dance floor when the last couple remaining has been married 52 years. And I'm telling you, the eyes of every young woman is focused on that couple. And what she's saying with her eyes as she's grinning ear to ear is, I want that kind of faithfulness for me. I want that, right? You see it uh, in Tommy West. Tommy was uh, the day janitor at the Jesmond Early Learning Village since basically, I don't know, the Great Depression. The guy today has got to be 130 years old. 
I was a janitor in 1995. He was old then, and I remember asking Tommy, Tommy, are you retiring this year? No, I'm never going to retire. Last year, he was still at the village opening up. And so when the village was at the old building in Wilmore, he came in, unlocked everything, turned on the heat. He was like the rising of the sun. You could count on Tommy West to be there. Um, in the early days of generations, there was a guy named Rick. Rick was the first person to arrive, the last person to leave. He was reliable, consistent, faithful. Uh, one night at three o'clock in the morning, he had to call me to let me know something. It was great. He goes, this is Rick, number one. Number two, no one has died. Number three, yes, it is 3 a.m. <laughs> like, thank you, Rick. Um, David and Carol Potter. Carol Potter, if Carol Potter says she's going to do something, boom, it's done. I'm sorry. I love you, but it's true. It's true, okay? Uh, you, so you need, everybody needs someone in their life, like a Rick or a Carol Potter or a Tommy West, someone who's going to support you. Uh, come through for you, defend you, someone who's loyal, trustworthy, constant, reliable. Come on, could you use somebody like that in your life? Yes. And you know what? Somebody else needs that from you. Somebody else needs that from you. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit over the summer. Paul says this, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit, this way of living life inside of us as God transforms us from the inside out to become more and more like Jesus. And that looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we're going to be talking about faithfulness today. Um, and here's my bottom line. Be faithful so others can count on you. Be faithful so others can count on you. Way back a long time ago, uh, there was this thing called The Navigators, and I read everything they ever produced, and there was a guy named Jeff Bridges, and he wrote a book on holiness, but he's got a great definition of faithfulness, and it's this, one who is dependable, trustworthy, and loyal, who can be depended upon in all of his relationships, and who is absolutely honest and ethical in all of his affairs. Could we not use more of this in America? Amen. Hallelujah. Sign me up. Okay. So we could use this stuff. And I want to glimpse, I want to look into something that happened to the early church and it's in Acts chapter 12. And I'm going to read the incident and then we're going to look at just a couple of verses. So it's Acts chapter 12, uh, I think verses 1 through 19. Yep. Okay. So just if you need to close your eyes and listen, here it is. About that time, King Herod Agrippa became, began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned Peter, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after Passover, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up! And the chains fell off his wrists. 
Then the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And Peter did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left his prison cell following the angel, but at the time, he thought it was just a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city, and this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter's standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to be quiet and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what has happened, he said. And then he went to another place. At dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. Herod, Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search. When Peter couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. Afterward, Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. So this Herod in this story is Herod Julius Agrippa I. And that's actually... Uh, a bust made of what they think he looked like. Herod Agrippa was king from 41 to 44 AD, and he was a member of the family of Herod. You've heard of the Herods. At Christmas, we all talk about King Herod, right? The great part of the Herod family. Now, the Herods weren't really royals the way the House of Windsor is royal. Uh, the Herods were opportunists and military leaders who got in real cozy with Rome, and Rome said, well, we'll make you king as long as you collect taxes and maintain order. And if you do that, we'll call you king, no problem. And that's exactly how it played out. And so, Herod Agrippa actually became kind of a pop cult star among the Jews because uh, there was the emperor Caligula, and Caligula was all about himself. He thought he hung the moon. And one of the things he did was he ordered a statue of himself to be put in every little province, in every temple, everywhere throughout the Roman Empire. Now, if you know anything about Judaism, how would the Jews have responded to a temple of Claudius or Caligula inside of the temple on the mount in Jerusalem, right? They would have died preventing that to happen. So, this guy, Herod Agrippa, managed to convince Claudia, uh, Caligula, sorry, he's the next emperor, he managed to convince Caligula not to put a statue into the temple. And so everybody loved him. They all thought, oh, you're a fan of the true religion. Oh, you're an awesome king. And they loved him for it. And so when the Sadducees and priests decided that they wanted to start persecuting the followers of the way because they weren't real authentic Judaism, Herod Agrippa was happy to oblige. Now this, this thing, right, this, he killed uh, the brother of John. Now that was a test 
to see how it would play out. Politicians today will kind of float policy proposals and statements. Back then, they would, you know, lop someone's head off, a minor person, and if people were like, yeah, then he would know, oh, I can go for the lead dog. And that was, that was the plan with killing John's brother first, a minor person. He had Peter imprisoned, and he was fully intending to kill Peter. But he had heard about the strange things are happening among the apostles, right? Peter had already been released miraculously from jail once. So what does he do? Four squads of four soldiers each chained. Do you think he's worried that Peter might somehow get out? Yeah, he's a little concerned about that. But he also is convinced he's going he's gonna to do Peter in. Well, that's so you know Peter gets out and the angel appears and it's miraculous and he's knocking at the door. But what are the people who are gathered for prayer? So the, the church is gathering and what are they praying for? God, like you did before, release Peter, release him from prison. God, we beg you, come on. God, do this big thing. Show the world that you're in this movement that is the Jesus movement. You know, Put your mark on us, your hand on us. And, and so they're praying and Peter's at the door. And what do they tell Rhoda, this poor girl? You're out of your mind. I love it because it shows their faith. Come on, it shows their faith. And that is such good news for you and me. <laughs> such good news for you and me. The angel thing here, what they're basically saying is uh, they believe that within three days, your spirit kind of lingered before it went on. And so th what they're saying is they think Peter's been killed already in prison and that this is his spirit at the door basically saying, see ya what faith they have, okay? And so, but God is at work, right? So in, in Acts chapter 12, the persecution of the church hits its high watermark and all kinds of things are happening. And the apostle James is, James is killed. The apostle Peter is once again imprisoned, waiting to be killed himself, but God is at work. And we see that because the Sadducees and the chief priests, do they get what they want out of Peter? No. Uh, Saul becomes Paul, and Herod Agrippa, who is the guy who was going to lop off Peter's head, something happens to him. And that's the second part of this chapter 12. Now, Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, so they sent a delegation to make peace. The delegates won the support of Blastus, Herod's personal assistant. And when the day arrived, Herod put on his royal robe, sat on his throne, and made a speech to them. The people gave him a great ovation, shouting, It's the voice of a God. It's the voice of a God and not a man. And Herod, uh, the angel of the Lord, struck Herod with a sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving glory to God. I love this. Some of you could make this your life first. So he was consumed with worms and died. So he was consumed with words, worms and died. Now, this death of Herod Agrippa is actually testified by Josephus, a contemporary. And, and so what happened, Josephus' side of what happened is, Herod went into the theater 
and he had put on this glittering silver garment, his royal robes. And when he entered the theater, everybody just began, you know, Herod, Herod. Not that, that's what we do, but like something that they would have done in the first century. And he accepted the flattery. Yes, I am all that. Josephus says that Herod reports he looked up and he saw an owl perched on a rope, which for Romans was a bad omen. And instantly he was seized with really bad gut pain, so bad that he had to be taken to his palace and for five days, he was racked with the most horrible abdominal pain. And then he died at age 54. So the guy who was going to do in the head of the church, Peter, right, ends up dying himself, but a little bit later on. And Luke tells us this is what happened. Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers God is faithful. He's faithful when you're the brother of John. He's faithful when you're Peter. God is faithful uh, to his children, and he will always do what he's promised. And when we have faithfulness toward God, we believe that God is who he says he is in the Bible and through the testimony of the prophets, right? We believe that God will do what he's promised, and we're not afraid because we know that God is going to do what he's promised. N.T. Wright has this to say about this passage and about faithfulness in general. He says, I find all this strangely comforting, partly because Luke is allowing us to see the early church for a moment, not as the bunch of great heroes and heroines of the faith, but as the same kind of muddled, half-believing faith, one minute and doubt the next sort of people, as most Christians, we all know. And some of us would say, amen, amen, and amen. I think what Tom Wright is trying to say is what we're told in 2 Timothy. If we are unfaithful, he, God, remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Faithfulness is part of God's core identity. God is faithful. When God says he will do something, he will do it. If he's promised you eternal life, you can take it to the bank. That promise is secure. And God wants us, as we're being transformed from the inside out by the leading and work of his spirit inside of us, to become faithful men and women who reflect his character to the world around us. So in light of that, let me ask a couple of questions. The first is, when have you prayed fervently and then had trouble believing that God was actually going to answer. When have you prayed fervently and had trouble believing that God was going to answer or was answering? And then secondly, are there areas of your life today where you can become more faithful so that others can count on you? What does this look like? Well, I want to suggest some things based on the large repertoire of scripture and the first is be faithful in little things be faithful in little things for those of you that are younger say fifth grade sixth grade uh, junior high middle school your level of faithfulness now unlocks what your parents will entrust to you when you're 16 17 18 it's just how it works when you're brand new and you're only six months into the job the degree to which you show up on time and work hard 
will unlock what opens up for you down the road. Be faithful in little things. That means pay your bills on time. Work hard even when the boss is on vacation. Answer email, voicemail regularly. Show up on time. Jesus said that when we're faithful with a little, we will be given much. And if you're dating someone and you think you really like them and they really like you, a good little measuring stick is, are they faithful in little things? Because if they're faithful in little things, there's a good chance they'll be faithful in the big things like love, honor, and cherish until we're parted by death, right? So be faithful in the little things. And the second thing is be faithful in times of temptation and difficulty. When Jenny and I were dating, Uh, and we were really, really liked each other, and I really liked her, and she really liked me, like, we weren't alone a lot. Not because uh, we couldn't, not because we didn't have the freedom. We're grownups, we're adults, we can do whatever we want, but we weren't ever alone a lot because we didn't want one thing to lead to another and for us to violate our own consciousness and then do things we would later regret. Um, And so, uh, again, be faithful in times of temptation and difficulty. Probably one of the biggest temptations that you and I are going to face across the board in terms of faithfulness is just sticking with something or someone. The temptation to quit is huge. And I'm just going to tell you right now, Americans, we become a nation of quitters, it seems like. We just quit at the drop of a hat. Like, well, swim team's terrible. I quit. Or, that, you know, I quit. I quit. I quit. I quit. And entrepreneurs when you uh, uh, entrepreneurs who become successful people when they're interviewed and they're asked you know what were key moments many of them will describe a moment where they decided I decided I wasn't going to quit and it was a turning point for me right and so uh, be faithful in the in the times of temptation uh, and difficulty I, I have a tremendous respect for my eye doctor. My eye doctor is John Music, and John and Helen are part of what was Quest Community Church, which is now the Lexington City Church. And there was a, di- so Quest had the worst thing that can happen to a church. Their number one and number two pastor had a moral failure together, and of course, everything unravels at that point. And so many people left the church, and there were many, many months where for every dollar that came in that was given, 70 cents of that dollar was paying for debt that the church couldn't afford, right? And so, but John was faithful, and Helen was, they were faithful, and they stayed. Now the, the church, in a sense, has gotten reborn, and I'm so grateful that a congregation had people like the musics who were simply faithful, and stayed and obeyed God. And so be faithful in times of temptation and difficulty. Jenny and I, uh, when we showed up at Church of the Savior, which is our mother congregation, um, we had just moved here from Chicago. We were in church a year. And then at the end of the first year, the associate pastor quit and left. And six months later, the senior pastor decided he was gonna go back to teaching. So now this church had no pastors, And we were the only organized ministry in the church at the time. And I remember uh, us having conversations, the should we stay or should we go, (laughs) right? I'm so glad we decided to stay. Those people became literally extended family to us. And generations wouldn't exist today had that not been the case, had we not stayed, right? And so uh, 
be faithful in times of temptation and difficulty. And the last thing is good news. God rewards faithfulness, not success. Yes, <laughs> right? You live in America, America loves success. If you can hit the ball, if you can make money, if you can get 6 million followers on YouTube, America will go, woo, here, here's the keys to the kingdom. You're successful, but God's not that way. I'm convinced that when we see Jesus, for those of us who are pastors, the first question Jesus is not going to ask me as a pastor is, how many were in church last Sunday? It's not going to come out of his mouth. You know, he's going to ask, were you faithful, right? God loves faithfulness and God rewards faithfulness, not success. Earlier this week, I was at the pool and uh, I have a, friend, a pool friend, uh, Frank, and I was kind of bemoaning uh, things about my stage of life and the, the kids that I have. And I'm always like, oh, I need to be a better dad because of this, and I need to tweak this with this kid. And, and so he had, he had let me go on for about 10 minutes. And, and he put his hand up and he goes, okay, Max, stop, just stop. I'm like, what? He goes, you win. I'm like, what do you mean I win? He goes, no, you win at fatherhood huh? You're still their dad. You haven't gone anywhere. You haven't left. In America, you win. <laughs> like, <laughs> ding, all this stuff you're stressing about right now, like, just hang in there. That will solve so much of it. And I think what he was trying to say is faithfulness matters. <laughs> this is what he was trying to say. In, in Ruth, we're given a... Um, a glimpse of, of faithfulness to family. Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you live, I'll live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And then between David and Jonathan, Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You're gonna be the next king and I'll be next to you as my father Saul is well aware. So the two of them renewed their solemn pact and Jonathan returned home while David stayed at Horesh. And then from Jesus' lips himself, the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. Now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Be faithful so others can count on you. You will not regret being faithful. You won't. You won't regret being faithful to your family or your extended family, the church. You won't be regret being faithful to your friends. You won't be regret being faithful with the things of God because faithfulness matters.